Hello, legends. Today, I catch up with my friend and club member, Bradley Gimbert, founder and CEO of Indigenous Wealth, a property advocacy and financial services company with a mission of creating 100 Aboriginal millionaires through property, and then on from there. Brad is an Aboriginal entrepreneur himself who has overcome great adversities in life, including not knowing his birth parents and being adopted, going to jail, and growing up in housing commission. Brad now has a multi-million dollar property portfolio, a thriving business that's lifting the Aboriginal community and has kept his promise, his childhood promise to his parents of buying them a beautiful home. His life story is one everybody can learn from. He's a true inspiration. I took so much from this conversation. I'm sure you will too. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. You. We are now live. Um, Brad, as you know, uh, last week was the first time. It wasn't the first time we've met, but it was the first time that we've um, really got to know each other. Mm. And after hearing your story, um, I was like, man, this guy needs to come on the podcast <laughs> because you uh, – I, I haven't stopped – I even, like, you know, I, I emailed – I connected you to, to Boris because mm. I messaged him. I texted him. I was like, mate, you got to meet this guy. He's just one of the most incredible human beings um, I've, 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 I've ever met. And, and, and this is true. The, the reason I said that to him is because it, it's easy for people, even that don't have bad situations in life to have a negative view of the world. In fact, I think most young people today all have a negative view of yeah. the world, even though they've all got the best lives ever, you know, but, but you're someone who, who has, uh, had, um, uh, things happen to you outside of your control and within your control, but but mostly outside of your control, that have um, that you've experienced, that a lot of people it could have sent them on a, on a wrong path, and somehow, and for some reason, which you know I want to get to the bottom of today, is that it ignited a fire in you, uh, and made you have this passion for wanting to to accomplish great things, to impact your community and the world in a positive way, and um, and you I don't know you found this drive, and I, I just want to. Um, I just want to say that to you before we get into the show because you really actually did make an impact on me last time we spoke. So I'm hoping the same impact happens. A little oh, bit. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> Man, yeah, I'll, I'll easily follow on from that. Sure. Yeah. But uh, um, but why don't we start by introducing your business and, and kind of where you're at at the moment? Absolutely. Um, so obviously my name is Bradley Gimbert. Um, I come from Western Sydney. I'm an Aboriginal man. My people are the Wawan people from Canamble. Um, I was adopted as a young fella, um, adopted into another f- Aboriginal family from Western Sydney. Um, so my dad, James Leslie Gimbert, he adopted me. He was a member of the Stolen Generations. And so remember, uh, he adopted me because he just wanted to sort of give back and he never had the opportunity to uh, understand his family or be immersed in his culture. So wanted to give that back on to me. Um, so just briefly, so with, with Indigenous Wealth. The and Indigenous Wealth is your business. Indigenous Wealth yep. is my business. Um, so we're 100% obviously Aboriginal operated consultancy. We're dedicated to helping Aboriginal people become successful. So the way that we do that is through property investment. Um, and we're starting to build that into more of a bigger financial services company as well. So the goal of Indigenous Wealth is to empower what I call the cycle breakers. There's like one or two in each family that are just not happy with how everything's occurred and what it means to be Aboriginal, um, the, you know, systemic failures, uh, government and other people that be. And I just realised like throughout my life that there's a there's a massive class of us Aboriginal people that want bigger things than gets presented to us. And um, I just understood that it's it's really up to us. You know, it's up to us to go out and change that. The government... The government's the government. You're never going to have to – we should never rely on them. Shouldn't, I, I believe you should never rely on anyone to get what it is that you want regardless and, and the government's like been a massive perpetuator of a lot of problems for our people so why would we rely on them for anything? So I realised, you know, if I wanted a life that um, – if I wanted to live life on my own terms, I have to do that myself and then there's obviously going to be barriers um, along the way but you're able to d- dictate that and do that yourself. So basically Indigenous Wealth is created so I, I can empower my people to – achieve whatever goals and live whatever life and do whatever it is that they want to do because we deserve to, you know, there's no reason that we can't. Um, and the biggest so. thing in Australia has always been uh, property ownership. Mm. You know, it's, it's how generations of, of, of Australians have gotten ahead. Exactly. So by focusing on, um, 
I mean, you could say probably the most important asset class in Australia mm. um, and, and helping uh, Indigenous people um, enter and not just enter, but even after they enter, then um, uh, grow, you know, or strategically grow, make the right dec- property decisions for themselves to, mm. to grow um, uh, a property portfolio and, and, and uh, like you say, uh, accomplish the things that, that, that people want to accomplish. Exactly. It's more, it's, it's more so just about like using property as a vehicle. If there's something else that done tremendously well, made more millionaires, you know, for example, property makes more millionaires than every asset, other asset class. Um, some of the biggest money has got some of the bigger parts of their money in property. Um, it's something that I realized at an early age. It's actually how I got into property because um, I realized a lot of the people on the Forbes list have most of their money in property. And I thought, well, that's a good place to start and uh, started looking and digging down that path. Um, and I realized, yeah, well, if you look at the history of our people, obviously colonization, land ownership doesn't exist for Aboriginal people. And so obviously there's no properties getting passed down generation to generation because we've got stolen from us. So here's what it is. Here we are today. Um, more opportunity now for our people than you could ever say post-colonization. So um, now we start from here. And what do you think it is that's, that gave you the drive to uh, focus on uh, Aboriginal people and 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 growing um, mm. property wealth within the community, because I mean, if you wanted to just um, uh, make money, for example, mm. you could you could do that you, your business for 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 anyone and everyone. But mm. but you've got a very strong purpose of lifting your community um, uh, and on um, um, Aboriginal people. Um, what do you think? Is the driver of that? Why do you think you you're so dedicated to that? Well, it's been a it's been a journey to sort of get here to this like burning purpose. But now looking back, it all makes complete sense. So f- I've always been proud of who I am as a like as a young fellow. I was always one of a few Aboriginal people at school um, that came with its own problems, you know, fighting and whatnot. And th- thank f- thank the Lord for boxing, you know. Um, well, we'll get into that we'll because I know that. you were a prodigy boxer. And- <laughs> I want to talk about it. I love boxing, absolutely. Um, so always been a proud Aboriginal person. You know, there was always I was always one of a few, always faced a lot of racism, things like that growing up, as you do, like especially out in Western Sydney, it's just normal. Um, and my dad being stolen, um, just the, so the sum of experiences early on, so that sort of tickled on it a little bit. But then um, throughout my life, like obviously I went to jail, which I'm sure we'll get to as well, but so I went to jail. When I got to jail, I realised I was part of the majority in jail. I realised, well, this is a systemic failure here. There's like this is where we all are, you know. Throughout my whole life, I'm thinking, where are all the rest of the Aboriginal people? You know, um, I'm always just one of a handful. Um, when I got to when I got to jail, I realised that you know this is where a lot of our people are. So, firstly, that. Secondly, um, as I said, like more of it, as a young kid, like the, so some of the experiences were like just small ones, like. I'd be at school and because I'm Aboriginal, they'd give you a tutor because I'm Aboriginal, so it must be dumb, right? So You need I, a tutor. We're not even going to test you. Yeah, you, yeah, you need a tutor. And I was, I was actually yeah. one of the smarter kids in, in the class a lot of the time. I was a disruptor. I was a pain in the ass, but um, I was definitely one of the smarter kids. I would graze through on like B's and C's without even showing up or doing anything and then that would get me to sit with the tutor and I'd be like, fuck, sit with this guy, you know? Um, and so – that that obviously didn't help with the racism problem, but um, yeah, that so that was like basically one experience. Then growing up, going to jail, that was its own experience. Um, I got into property at a young age, so at about 19, 20. So I was actually I was in property at nineteen. Bought my first property before I was twenty, um, and realised early straight away that that was like the ticket. I was like, well, far out. This is I can see how I can make myself a millionaire because you know if you asked me when I was like seven years old, I was always going to be a millionaire. So I'm like, well, here's the missing piece here. Um, so I just poured all my time into learning everything I could about property. Um, so firstly, it not, was just never happy with the state of affairs, you could say, of being an Aboriginal person in Australia on one side. Second thing, I always really wanted to be successful. So I took it upon myself to learn everything I could. That's how I landed a property. And then after jail, that's where the – well, actually, the idea came, at a, I told you, at, a, at Mark Beer's seminar, actually, um, and – from there, I realised the niche. So I realised a bit of a gap in the market. Uh, obviously, you know, you 
you realized a, a systemic failure when you saw so many uh, indigenous people um, uh, in jail and mm. um, you felt like, oh, the government's treating me different because mm. I'm Aboriginal, even though I don't even, wouldn't, don't even need you know, a tutor. I'm, I'm smarter than the other mm. kids. They're, they're forcing me to have a tutor. So the other kids laugh at me and things like that. Yeah. That, that makes me angry. And uh, I, I want to show the, I want to show the world what I'm capable of. Like I, I feel smart. I am clever and I'm going to yeah. show everyone how clever. I think exactly what you said shows a lot of like, if even firing me up, like, yeah, you know, I would, I would, you know, I, I can understand how yeah, I'm sure there's like this sense of, I want to uh, prove not just to myself because I believe I'm capable of, of everything. I want to show or, you know, cause the world is almost said to me that, I oh, know you may not be capable of this. I want to show everyone that I fucking am. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's, um, so if I can summarize it in a better way, so pretty much, so being adopted, um, I realized really, really early on, actually around about six or seven years old, that I was adopted by these people and they're really trying their best to give me a fresh start at life. And I really understood that really early on. And so my uh, my biological parents, they were, uh, not sure which one, but they were heroin addicts. And so when I was born, I was like a heroin baby. Um, and then I looked at that early age, I sort of realized the whole thing at probably maybe too young of an age, but I realized, you know, well, firstly, I was like almost dead at a baby because um, of my older parents if my family now didn't adopt me, then I wouldn't have this nice life that we're currently living. You know, we're living pretty well at that time. Um, and so I always wanted to make us all rich and wealthy. Like as a young kid, I was like to always say, dad, what color Ferrari you want? You know? Um, always, no way. Yeah. I was always saying I'm going to be rich. At first I was going to be a lawyer, you know, but jail changed that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I said it to the solicitor actually. I said, mate, like, um, can I do my law degree in here? And he just was like, what? <laughs> And I actually I work it's a fair you. question. Yeah, and I'm like, and I'll work for you after. And he's like, mate, let's just worry about this. And I'm like, okay, okay. Let's, sweet, no worries. let's actually, let's, let's just talk about your life. Like, mm. so you started, you, I mean, you, I guess you said you started life as a, a heroin baby, meaning mm. that you had an so addiction got, to So pretty much, yeah, there's heroin in your system. And then to get you off that, they've got to wean you off it. They've effectively got to give you some more heroin and slowly get you off it. So, um, don't know how that was. Can't remember. But but even the, that start and knowing mm. that you had to you 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 had an ob you had a, a I guess a life threatening obstacle to overcome mm. just starting life straight away. Yeah, yeah, how that would impact you now. You know, mm. looking back, it all makes complete sense. But at the time, uh, obviously, I was like, well, that's you know how that is. I was adopted. Always had that little burning desire from a young age. You know, to number one, be something really rich. I don't know where I got this buck, but I was always like, you know telling people are going to be rich and trying to sell them things and doing whatever. Um, and then on the other side, also wanted to help my parents and give back to them for always looking after me. And I realized that early on and that grew more and more and more. Like right now it's like probably the strongest it's ever been, but just gets stronger and stronger. Um, so that obviously had a massive, um, massive play in building like the foundation of like who I am today. And then, when I got to around about 10 years old, so living a really good life, was like a A-grade a grade student, super smart, they had me tested. They think this guy's like a genius, you know, it was awesome. I was like, oh, that's cool, cruising around. And then um, at about 10 years old, my mum got really, really sick. So they were a dual income household. So we had mum working, dad working, uh, mum was fostering heaps of other Aboriginal kids. She had heaps of Aboriginal kids around all the time. She had a really big house with a pool and all that sort of stuff. It was really cool. Um, it actually sounds fun. <laughs> it was pretty fun, yeah, except – one of the kids always steal my Hot Wheels. But other than that, it's pretty good. Um, you know, I'll steal his back and then we'll punch on. But other than that, um, it was, yeah, it was really good. Like it was an extremely good life. Uh, we got to around about 10 years old. Mum got really, really sick and she had to spend like two years in hospital. Um, I remember going to the hospital, doing homework from there and things like that. And I didn't really understand at the time, but how turbulent of a time it was. Dad had to change jobs and took a much less paying job to ultimately look after me as well because I was still going to school. Um, and in that, in the wash of all that, he ended up going, going bankrupt. And so – through that, we ended up – so I have an older brother and sister. Um, they had moved out and sort of started their own family, so a bit of a rock and a hard place for my dad. Couldn't really do anything, sold it, had to go bankrupt. And then over the next two or three years, we sort of bounced around between my brother's place, sister's place. Me and my mum stayed at a refuge for around about six to nine months so we could get the emergency housing. That was pretty rough. What, um, what is a refuge? A refuge – so – it was, it's for women and gen children generally. Generally they're for like domestic violence and things like that. I can't remember what this one was for, but we were, we were there somehow. Definitely no DV at home, but um, we were there and there was like some other mums with their kids and pretty traumatic 
situations for them. Um, that was at Rudy Hill. And so I was there. I started – so I live. we were living at Doonside. I was going to primary school at Doonside. We moved – uh, to my brother's place in Glenmore Park for about one or two years and then ended up back ended up at the refuge with my mum and I started high school at Rudy Hill for the first term uh, at the refuge. Um, and then after the first term, then we ended up getting the Howes Commission House at Lather Park. Then we moved to Lather Park and then we started that part of the life. Um, so Howes Commission obviously had its own um, challenges. There's a lot of other – a lot of porkies, a lot of drugs around, a lot of crime um, – yeah, what's the what, what is living in housing commission? Um, what is it like? I, I don't know if that's a well, stupid question. Or half it can or vary or like heavily. Aboriginal housing is like a little bit different to ordinary housing, but the, the, it, it sort of can vary. Like um, anyway, when we got the house, there was like a dead dog in there, and it was like already broken into. There was needles all over the place, and it was rough as like we spent the first like week or two just cleaning it up getting all the shit out. Um, and and you're only how old at this age? 11, 10? 12. 12. I know, 12. Uh, no, 13 now. 12 or 13? Yes. I think I was 13. Um, so, yeah, quite young. 13, just got settled in there, made a couple of friends. Um, and then around about 14, I, started, I got into boxing. Got into boxing, started working, started doing other things, whatever I could to, to sort of make money and, and look after us. Um, at about 16, I started paying board and, and sort of buying the, the groceries so we could all sort of chip in. Um so that experience drove me like big time, obviously, because it was like that massive turbulent changing time, um, which had an effect on me, but I didn't even realize at the time because like, I was fighting at school and doing all that sort of stuff. I went from being this like really bright kid to just punching on and things like that. Do you think there was just that like frustration? Mm. You were letting out that frustration to, you know, in life yeah. or the world and subconsciously and- just, you know, just letting it, letting it loose. And that's, that's how I ended up into boxing. Cause I was like quite a hothead and, and things like that. So I got into boxing. That, that I should probably learn how to fight probably. Learn how to fight. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be fighting people. Um, so got into boxing more so like self-defense cause we're starting to get into like issues with other kids at school and doing all that sort of stuff. And it was a bit of a rougher school than what I was used to. So Got into boxing, that changed my life immensely, sort of learnt discipline and, you know, following through on things and having courage even though you're scared and things like that, so just having courage. And then eventually, you know, done pretty well through boxing, had like 22 fights or so. Um, and, yeah, that, that was like that sort of part of our life. So Housing Commission obviously drove us a lot because I was we're in this position. I fully understood that, you know, I'm indebted to my family, but now we're in this really, you know, rocky place you know my parents are depressed and things like that where my mum can't work my dad even can't really work to a to a proper degree no money coming in the house and I just thought well shit if we're gonna do this like if I'm really gonna be like am I am I gonna be rich or not like you know, I need to make this decision and am I gonna look after my family or not you know we need to if 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 I'm not gonna do it no one's gonna do it for us there's no one coming to save us so better flick the light bulbs on and start figuring it out so I started um Obviously, I started working as early as I could, then always like just hungry to, to, to grow and, and do other things. Everyone ever knew worked in like blue collar jobs and labouring and shit like that. And I'd done my fair share of that. Er, realised early on, I was like, this is not for me. Um, and then I got into sales at like 18. And that was each time I just was like leaping at the, at the, ta- at the, at the, um, just catching onto the, the back of the car as it's taken off. I was like, this, boom, to the next stage and to the next stage. Like, first it was like, boxing then it was like working and it was like working a better job um then it was sales that taught me all about you know goal setting and law of attraction and all those sort of things I was a sales weapon I had like a team um when I was like 18 which was cool that was really cool um they the company I don't know if you want to include this but they ended up getting sued for hundreds of millions of dollars so that was completely criminal but learned so much about sales and things like that ended up leaving because like we couldn't come to terms like it's kpi driven and you hit the kpis and they promote you and i was hitting the kpis and they wouldn't promote me and i was like fucking yeah and i was we ended up being like some sort of situation where the owner was having an affair with a chick that was my team leader and if i got promoted she would get demoted and they weren't letting that happen and i was like man you don't act like I'm not living in house commission at the time. I'm like, mate, if you don't give me the promotion, I'm like, I'm leaving. You know? I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got so many options. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm cruising, and they go, all right, then leave. And I was like, all right, and I left. It was the worst. <laughs> I had no job, and then just like looking for other sales jobs, and they're all shit. So, um, I ended up getting a project management traineeship um, at Sydney Water, actually. So that what took like six months of interviews, going through that whole rigmarole and process. Got it. So I'm like six or nine months out of a job at this point. And then they took it off me because I had a criminal record. So um, 
criminal record was like nothing. It was uh, I had like a half gram of weed and they uh, charged me for drug possession, which I'm pretty sure it's meant to be a caution, but anyway, they took it off me. Um, I think it's all um, relevant. Uh, relevant and, and important in, in showing, I mean, how much someone uh, can go through um, and and still, you know, it's a choice to have a positive mindset and mm. it's a choice to to want to do uh, great things. And, well, yeah, I think this shows all that. Look, that's – um, and it's funny you say that because that's def- that was definitely – like I learned that at the sales job, you know, the power of positive thinking and then I got into reading and things like that. And that was one of the books I'm pretty sure that sort of swayed me on that. But Which um, book? The Power of Positive Thinking. Okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So – but anyway, we used to always talk about like just just positivity and the, the power of it. You know, there's no, there's basically no value in focus on the negative because it's there anyway. You still got to overcome it anyway. You know, um, best off looking at what what could possibly positive uh, come out of this that's positive, and just focus in there um, because if you, you're going to get the negative anyway, at least you can get the positive out of it. You know, at least you can get the upside. Um, and so I'll say, I've got this project management traineeship. You know, I'm a couple of months out of work at this point, which is a bit of a shock because I'm paying board and getting food. So I obviously needed that. Um, and then they took it off me on the day before I was meant to start. And I was like, mate, far out. It was six, nine months here, just wasted. Um, and then I got, uh, my brother was like, he was a jit rocker and he was like, come work, come work with us. I'll get your job. And I'm like, all right, suck it up go down there. And they put the, I've never been on a construction site before. So they put the green helmet on me, which basically means like less than three months on a construction site. Basically means a danger. Rookie, yeah. Danger. Watch out for this guy. He's a mess, right? So, and I definitely was. I was hopeless at like everything. Um, just good at carrying things, <laughs> and um, so that was pretty rough. And so, as I said early on, I, like I understood because I was researching and things like that, what rich people do, and I understood that property was something that I needed to do. So, come to this conclusion, I was like gutted because I'm like this. This project management traineeship was was going to give us like a 250k salary after two years. I was like, maybe it's our ticket. We're going to be out of there. <clears throat> that got ripped off us, and then had to go back to the drawing board and I'm working and I was working there for about three, uh, six months and this company that I followed on Facebook because I, uh, I had this now new plan of, well, I don't know how I'm going to get rich now but this is the way that I can see it. I'm just going to hire these guys. Um, they invest in property for you. This is all I know about them. They're a buyer's agent. I didn't know what a buyer's agent was at the time. I'm just like you pay them, they invest in property for you and, and off we go. See what happens from there. And I'm on the jib rocking site and I'm bludging one time, hiding up all the way up in the, in the top and um, with the radio off as you do. And and they, um, I seen that the company had a job op- job opportunity for the call center. It was a bit of a pay cut for what I was on at the moment, but I was like, man, this opportunity. So, dove in, um, applied for it, went and went and done the interview. And then in the interview, one of my boxing friends actually was was work, was working there already. His name's Colin Colin Bazudia. Um, he was already working there and was, had a bit of a yarn. I'm pretty sure he had a bit of a hand in getting me in there. And then got in and. Um, the rest is history. So from there, I was just was like fell in love with it, seeing how many people were investing in property around about my age. Um, you know, they've got all the all the bells and whistles, got Rolexes, nice cars, everything. It's in Wynyard, you know. Um, and so just would, took it upon myself to learn as much as I could. Like I would ask every single one of them to lunch or a coffee, you know, pick their brain to the point of harassment probably um, and just would learn so much, uh, as much as I could. Ended up buying my first property before I was 20, um, got into a BDM role by the time I'm 21, sort of met the boss head to head on that because he was sort of like at the interview, he was showing us the whole, how the <clears throat> how the company works and he's showing us that the salespeople make hundreds of thousands of dollars obviously and we're making like 40000 a year. So I'm like, all right, well, I want to get there. How do we get there? And he's like, well, you know, the, the quickest anyone's done it is six months. He shouldn't have said that because I was like, okay, six months, sweet. So six months. So I'm like, and what's the records? And he's like, records. So if we beat that in six months, I can go to sales, right? And he's just like, mate, I guess, yeah, for sure, no worries. And then six months later I'd done it and I was like, mate, what's going on? And he's like, oh, mate, no, you know, we need to keep you there. And I was like, oh, again, acting like I've got all these options. I was like, well, mate, I wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't have started the job otherwise. This is what I wanted to do. <laughs> Not knowing I was jip rocking. And then um, he's like, all right, whatever, we'll give you an opportunity. Gives us an opportunity. At this point um, I'd already – had a fight with old mate and I was on bail. <coughs> well, with, you're talking about uh, when you uh, – The thing that locked me up. Lock, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that as well. Yeah, for sure. But, but I just want to quickly highlight, it, you bought your first property at the age of 20. Mm. That just shows it, – it, it, with a background with that had all the odds against you, mm. 
you know, even even like you said, the, the way you start, you entered the world with the uh, uh, non-intentional addiction to heroin. Mm. Like, sorry, non-intentional. What's it called? Not, not, not self-inflicting. Definitely non-intentional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely, yeah, like yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that you it was your conviction, and I think the fact you you always seem to have plans. Mm. Like you always had a plan. Like you always you knew what you wanted, and you were looking at every situation as an opportunity to get it. And you always had a plan. So even when you started a job, you're like, okay, I want to earn that much. How much, what do I need to do to earn that? Okay. This is what you need to do. Okay, great. Six months. That's, that's, you oh, know, you, you've yeah. always had a plan. Like, and you keep saying that even through your things, you, you're always looking, okay, that's what I want. And you're kind of working backwards to say, how do I get there? And the fact that you bought a property at 20 shows that there is no excuse for, if you want to enter the property market and you want to get, uh, you know, you want to start doing well, you can do that. Oh, absolutely. You know, like- yeah, absolutely. Like definitely I was doing whatever I could, you know, um, whatever I could. We're in house commission, you know, everyone's doing whatever they, you know, I was. Whatever you need when to. When I was a kid, you know, I was selling weed and shit. So whatever we could to get bank up and look after mum and dad and obviously make us rich. That's just really been the, the MO from the start. Um, so um, you're talking about you you didn't get the promotion ah, yes. um, at the job after hitting the after hitting target in six months. Oh, okay. So, no, so he did. So he just said, oh, fuck it, I'll give you 10 meetings. So have a go and see how you go, right? And I'm like, all right, no worries. Let's do that. And, uh, and he's like, and you can book your own leads as well. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm just out of my own at this point. He's hoping I'm going to fail. I'm like, I hope I don't fail because I really want this job and I don't want to go back to the call center because that's shit. And so um, had these 10 meetings, got a sale through, actually got two sales through, but I got one, the one of the, the first sale, I'm on bail. He's a detective from Mount Druid Police Station <laughs> and he's... <laughs> He pays me the fee. I'm in the food court at Mount Drew at Westfield. He pays me the fee. I'm just thinking, fuck. This is actually the commission I'm getting from this is going to my lawyer, which is hilarious, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is hilarious. And I'm just thinking, what the fuck? Anyway, so get the job. He gives me like the promotion. So I'm doing BDM. <clears throat> they also invested in me to be a trainee mortgage broker. So I could be the in-house mortgage broker. Um, so I'm like cruising at this point. I'm thinking this is definitely the ticket. We're going to be okay. You know, um, I pay solicitor. I don't even, I don't even understand what's sort of going on at that point. I'm just completely ignoring it. Just so I can focus on getting the, as far as I can with this. And even if something happens there, then at least I'm as far as I so can. So you weren't even paying attention to your court case. <laughs> nah, I'm just like, nah. <laughs> you're focusing on well, my goal, which is I, I need to get this promotion. Yeah. And it all comes hand in hand because like, I had to, like, it was very much intentionally not focusing on it. It was like more, because that's the positive side of my life at the moment. That's definitely in the negative and it's, there's no sentencing date for how long. So and I what think, am I going to cry about? Like, it's not going to, nothing's happening. At some point, I'm definitely going to have to stress about it. Like at some point I'm going to be losing sleep over it, but that's not today. Today I've got an opportunity. So let's just focus there and let's see what we can do with that. And I've convinced if I make enough money, um, I could just pay the lawyer and it should be okay. But <laughs> Didn't, didn't really work out like that. But, um, but yeah, I just was thinking like what's the value in just whinging about it? Like it's going to – if something's going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. Um, me putting myself in a better position is not going to hinder it. It's going to make it better if anything. So just focus there. And that's always sort of been the case because there's always been like many things to complain about. Like even being adopted and things like that, everyone was always like, oh, you know, that must be tough. And I'm like, I guess, you know, but I don't really know like – might be tough for you. Like, I don't really know how you're living. Like, this is, I'm just adopted. Like, yeah, that was my life. Yeah, and that's, and it, as far as I'm concerned, it was a blessing because my, my, my parents were amazing people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I've got the power to choose. You know, a lot of people can't choose their family. Like, I, I don't get to choose my family, but it's a choice, you know. It's definitely a choice and I, and I love them for everything that they've done for me. So, um, so yeah, it was just like a why wind about it. You know? and, and so did you, so you, you end up accomplishing getting that promotion? Mm, got um, it. Yeah, and uh, no, actually and then, hired me as a mortgage broker too. And I was like, "Mate, we're cruising, we're good." <laughs> By the way, got a court date next week. Should be okay. <laughs> Should be all good. Yeah. They had no idea. No. Nah. <laughs> and so then you you end up in jail. Went to court. Um, so basically, the the thing that had happened. So in Layla Park, there's a lot of sex offenders there. It's um pedophiles. A lot of pedophiles. Yeah, a lot of pedophiles. I didn't really understood like the whole. I've always just been curious. So in jail. I can't remember where I figured it out, but I learned somewhere that a lot of sex offenders get pushed out into Layla Park and a couple other areas. But there's a lot, there's a big population there, which is weird. And it's also a big population of like, oh, it's a massive ice problem there. Per capita, I think it's one of the worst in Australia areas. Um, and so, long story short, there was like a known sort of predator in the area. I already had a bit of an altercation with him because he used to follow my girlfriend home. We had a bit of a fight about it. <clears throat> that was, that was uh, sorted and that was all good. Then a few years later, just by chance, my 
brother's baby mother, who has custody of the kids, ended up moving a few doors down from this guy and then they caught the guy in the yard at about 1am or something in his underwear trying to get in the window. I was like, well, fuck, I don't know. I already know this guy. He's fucking dickhead, you know. So let me go down and speak to him. Like I, I wake up in the morning. Like I've heard about it at the night time. Go to sleep, wake up in the morning. My niece and the whole mob's over. Niece is crying. Like it's a whole situation. I'm thinking, fuck. So she obviously saw someone trying to break did, through yeah, the so window. She obviously had an effect. Like it, I, I was like, oh, maybe she's seen it. Maybe she didn't see it, whatever. But she, it obviously had an effect on it. And I was thinking, oh, fucking hell. Like, I already know this guy. Let me just go down and confront him, you know. The idea was to confront him and have another go with him. <laughs> and then um, we go down there. Oh, oh, I go down there, sorry, just by myself. And I'm sort of cruising around, waiting to see him. Didn't see him. So go to his house and knock on the door. Say, well, come outside. And straight away we're arguing through the door. Long story short, we ended up in his house fighting Gave him a flogging. Obviously, you can't do that. And um, then I left. I think that's the normal reaction, though, of mm. a man who's do something. Yeah, yeah <coughs> if someone tries to hurt um, your child or you know your 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 nieces, you almost feel like that's that is the that is the reaction. Definitely, yeah. It's definitely like an obligation of the man to do something about the women in his life. You know, and I thought obliged. You know, my dad's not going to do nothing. He's quite sick. Um, I already know this guy, so let me go down and sort it, sort it out. So long story short, got in, got into that sort of scuffle with him, left. Um, police straight away had an idea that it was me, so they came around, they were questioning all the time. Uh, they tell my mum I'm going to jail for murder. This guy's in a coma at this point. Um, and then they got some some of my DNA, DNA testing, and then, and then got me. Um, so arrested me. Um, well, they were looking for me for a while. I just went and handed myself in and then um, come out and oh, I got bail straight, sorry, and then – that was like a year before, that was just before I started this property job, you know, so about a year and a half I was on bail for close to two years. Um, and then, yeah, that's where it, it, But surely, yeah. I mean, is there no, uh, surely a judge would be like, okay, well, I can understand oh, well, I this guy it. tried to rape this man's mm. five-year-old niece or however old she was. I can see how yeah, well, that would result in. You'd in, think so. You'd think so. I've heard some pretty rough case, especially in jail, like it's crazy ones. Like there was one on the news actually about a guy, caught a guy in the bedroom and then choked him out and the guy died and he got, that. the dad got 25 years. No. As far as I'm concerned, years. he did a public service. And the guy's a convicted rapist. So, oh, my God. Yeah. That's yeah. unbelievable. So it was pretty crazy. So um, I did get an extremely good result though. So I think me paying the money for the sister definitely had some bearing on it. Um, the ju- We got really lucky with the judge. Like my dad's got cirrhosis of the liver. The judge's dad had liver cirrhosis and he was like – um, understanding me in that sort of way, but he's like, I can't. He basically said, you can't go be going out being a vigilante. Yeah. When he said that, I was thinking Batman. But he says, <laughs> it sounds pretty cool. Can't be a bit <laughs> nice. Yeah, but can't, can't be going to be being a vigilante. So I got to make an example of you. And I'm thinking, shit, I'm going to jail here. He gave me the, the lowest possible sentence that I could get um, because obviously he, I took that as he sort of understood. And I met a lot of people in there with one of my charges. So the two charges I got was special, special aggravated break and enter, which is home evasion, and inflict grievous bodily harm. That got dropped down from attempt murder, so pretty serious charges. Um, and he, I, I sorry, I met a lot of people in jail that were doing like seven or ten years for just a special aggravated break and enter. So I was thinking far out. So that <clears throat> that part alone, I was like, I've definitely got a big purpose here. This is definitely just a chink in the chain. This is nothing that's meant to crush me. I, I can let it, but it's it's not meant to crush me. Obviously, I've been. Given a second lease here on life, it's definitely a warning. But see how you're looking at the positive of mm. that. Like, imagine if, imagine even me. Someone said you're going to jail for a year. You know, I'd be, oh my god, like I'm, I'm screwed, blah blah blah. Mm. But, but you are thinking, wow, I met, just met someone who did, who got charged with less and has more time. This is a blessing. I, you know, I can get through this and I can get back to doing good. Like Absolutely, that's just yeah. your mind. I don't know what's, I don't know how <laughs> your mind ended up the way it is. I'm really trying to figure out, but it's got this relentless focus on. On the positive and, and on, on the, you know, what's, you must have trained yourself at a young age to be like, bang, the positive, I want the, I want to focus on the positive and that's just stuck with you. Oh, well, you want it's crazy. It's like yeah. a superpower. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's serving pretty well, but it's, um, you just want to win, you know, you just want to win. Like it, it can't all be for nothing. You don't want all the shit to be for nothing. I feel like the more that you go through, then the more drive you should have to get what it is that you want because like, otherwise that's for waste and it's just a shit story. So if nothing else, focus on the positive. At least yeah. you've got a good story. Let's make out of a great it. story. Or go through the shit. And at least you get the positive out of it. You know, the shit happens anyway. So, yeah, shit happens. And tell me about jail then. Jail which, which, right. which jail was it? Uh, so I was in was Parkley it? for the for the majority of it. Um, I was in Silverwater as well, and then back to Parkley in the minimum. So I served 
Weirdly. These are heavy duty jails. These aren't yeah, uh, chill out heavy. jails. No, nah, they're all right. So the, the last two were pretty pretty chill. That was minimum. So minimum security is like quite chill. But I spent like eight months in maximum, which was weird um, because you know serving that sentence, we, I should have went to the minimum. And even the guards were saying oh, I should have went to Oberon and things like that, um, which is like a minimum security for young offenders, and they take you out camping and you get all the good food and stuff like that. And I stayed at I stayed in Maxo where there's no good buy up and you just get tunas and bloody trident noodles um which were all right but <laughs> and buy up is the food you're able to buy in yeah jail. so you're able to get like some uh you pay for, to get extra money and things uh, sorry you pay extra money to get food and things like that um but they charge you big dollars for the food like oh yeah it's like it's like your ig it's typical iga prices oh it is with a little bit of, okay bit of a premium but um it's your normal iga prices yeah maybe iga double bay but it's still iga yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like six bucks for a tin of tuna um, yeah, yeah, right. I, I, that's Serena. That's not. Yeah, Serena's all right, yeah. I paid two dollars <laughs> fifty. Yeah, <no. laughs> you know. And so, so, and so, how did you handle jail? Or I, I guess mm. how did you 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 ha, you had the mindset of, yeah, I can do a year. I can get through this, and and this is a blessing. I can get back on track. But you know, you hadn't yet experienced jail. Yeah, well, um, very like so. So pretty much like I can still remember the, the exact time of getting locked up. So you're on the stand. Um, the judge served down your sentence. I didn't really understand the jargon, so I was just sort of thinking. He said two and a half years um, on the top. I can't remember how he said it. But basically, it was two and a half years on the top and twelve months on the bottom. And I was just thinking, what? Am I getting locked up for two and a half years? My solicitors there going, yeah, like this. I'm like, what? I'm getting locked up. What are you cheering about? You know, and he goes like, mate, trust me, good result. I'll speak to you tomorrow. It's, it's all good. And then the guards like grab you, put your hands behind your back, and then you go out the back door. My family's like, we're sort of saying bye. And then you go out the back door and um, you go in an elevator and you go down this, what feels like an eternity, going going down with these two guards. Um, and then you go down to the, to the fish tanks. And so they keep you under the courthouse until the end of the day. And then you get shipped off to jail it's not quite jail it's like a processing facility so we went out to emu plains um <clears throat> so you go down in the cells they you get stripped butt naked you get searched at first that's like abrupt but then that's happening like every day you get stripped searched by some bloke every fucking day um and you, you literally get used to it yeah you get used to it yeah, yeah. i'll get naked right now yeah it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. it, I, just, like, I mean it's yeah it's like getting searched like every time you see your family you get searched on the way uh on the way back in Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And there's like visits two or three times a week. And, and when you say on the top and on the bottom, so that means the maximum sentence you could you could serve is two and a half, but if you well, well behaved, you can get out so in a year. So the bottom is standard non-parole, which means you've got to serve that time in jail. Mm. Um, and then the other, the rest of it can be done by parole if you get oh, approved okay. for parole. But generally most people get approved for parole for whatever whatever reason. So um, so got taken down, going to the fish tanks, get processed. I'm sitting there str- straight away. I'm just thinking – Fuck, I'll get out in a year. <laughs> a year from now. What's the date? 23rd July. I'm like, all right, 23rd July. <laughs> but see, you're working backwards again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, all right, all right, what do we do here? I'm just like, fuck, it's all like dawning on me. I'm like, had a good career, fucked it, got a property, don't know what I'm going to do there. Mum and dad, really sick, need to make them rich, don't know how to do that from jail. Um, it's all like sitting on it, just thinking, fucking hell. Um Sitting in the tank. So the fish tanks are like up to your knees as well. It's quite short. So you're just sitting there, just topping it. And then end of the day comes, get processed, and you go to Emu Plains. Can you explain the fish tank? What do you mean by the fish tank? So it's like the, so if you get locked up like here, the police arrest you and they take you back to the police station. They put you in little cells. They're just like little fish tank cells. They're just clear, like plexiglass. And it's a little seat. And I'd say, so the cell door is like maybe this far off your knee. Literally like a little fish. So you're tank. like sitting in, in a, like a, you can't do a little glass you kind can't, of You can basically thing. not move. You can't like stand up and walk. So you're just, just stuck on this seat a little bit. You can stand up, but you just sort of sit there. Um, yeah, that's what happens when people get arrested. That's where you go. And so um, so in the fish tanks, do that all day, get processed, go to the Emu Plains. As soon as I got to the Emu Plains, I was like, well, I'm going to jail. And I'm like, I don't know what to expect because I've never been in jail. But my uncle's been in jail and he tells me it's pretty wild. So I'll fucking start training. So I start doing push-ups <laughs> and I'm just doing push-ups all the time because you're, you're stuck in there for like uh, eight days, eight or nine days while you figure out what jail you go to. Um, and it's like it's like they're not prepared for you to be there. Like it's like a little dodgy little cell. The TV is like half broken. It's on the kids' channel all the time and you can't change it. They've got to change it from the window. They come and they've got to take you to this dodgy shower at the back and they wait for you while you get a shower. Um, and then the greens that they give you are like, 
triple XL, like swimming on ya. I think it's meant to like break you down mentally. I'm just thinking, oh, this is retarded. Um, anyway, so <laughs> we'd, uh, straight away I'm just thinking, well, don't know what to do. Going to start training. Got enough space to do like dips and push-ups. I'm just do push-ups, get tired, do dips, get tired, lay down, go sleep, wake up, do it again, just cruise. Can't watch the kids' channel. <laughs> Does your head in. <laughs> so um, not even the good kids' channel. It's like the CBeebies one, like the really kid channel, you know, not they're saying. Um, and me and my Sally, he's freaking out. Don't know what he's freaking out about. Like nothing's happening. So he starts training with me after like two days. We come pretty close, Aussie guy. And then we get processed and we go to Park Lee. And so at Park Lee, there's a um, they put you in another holding cell. So you go in like two or three different wings until you finally get to your wing. And so I got to – they take us to Park Lee. We get processed there. It's in with – so the, um, this is pretty intentional for sure. They put you in they, – they walk in at like night time. They come in at like middle of the night and it's all like lifers and things like that on the on the floor below and they put you in the cells up top. And as you're walking through, they're all screaming. It's like the movies. They're all screaming at you. Oh, fresh meat. Fucking saying all crazy shit. Everyone by me is like – they're all like – Young white fellas, you know, and they're freaking out. They're like freaking out. Yeah. I've you been, can see them. Yeah. I've been training and I'm thinking I'm going to have to box in here. So I'm just thinking, I'm getting half G'd up. I'm thinking, fuck, you know, we're going to have to fight some of these lifers, you know. I don't know about that. Freaking out. But definitely not freaking out as much as them. And then um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we get. This is just outrageous. <laughs> it is. Keep going. I haven't even got the jail yet. Yeah. And so. <laughs> It's a, <laughs> oh my god! It's, it's, it's honestly crazy. And so then we get to, um, so we're there. Um, I'll leave that part out. Then basically they process us, and there's a bit of bit of situation happening, and then there's a bit of moving around. Then they ship you off to your wing, and you get to your wing, and it's sort of like that in the longest yard when you get off when they get off the bus, and it's all. There's people everywhere and they're sort of like looking. It's exactly like that, you know. And they just chuck you in there and you've got your little sack. They give you a sack with like your bed sheets and all your clothes and all that shit. And then you go and they go, you yourselves up there and they chuck you out in the yard. And you're out in the yard and it's just chaos. The yard's maybe like, what is it, about 20 metres by 20 metres in a bit of a triangle. Not very big. And it's about 150 inmates per wing. So it's like 20 by 20 and it's like 20 by 20 on the other side. And you've got the indoor space, but we're not indoors. Everyone gets pushed out and they're outside. So they push us out and we're all outside and then um, training and things like that. So this is where I've – this is straight away I realised. I'm like, well, there's a lot of black fellas here. So this is this is all right. I should be okay because I know it's like divided by race. And then straight away I seen like this guy that I've, I knew. Um, I seen him in the holding cells briefly actually, but then I seen him again at the wing and he was um, – his name's Robbie, but he was like a uh, family friend of ours. Growing up, and he was friends with my brother and sister. And so straight away, he was sort of like, "Oh, what's going on, brother? It's all good. You need food or anything? Just let us know." Um, so straight away, I realized I'm like, "Well, we're the majority, and like the black is run it in here, so it's pretty crazy." Um, but yeah, I just got to training straight away. I was like, "Well, locked up here." It's pretty quickly it started to dawn on me. I'm like, "Well, this is sort of where I'm staying for for a little while at least." Um, and then I started training. I got with Robbie's um, cousin. He liked a bit of boxing. His name's Shane. So we got into. Um, so that's Robbie Donovan and Shane Brown. So I got into a um, bit of boxing with Shane. Me and, me and Shane were sort of training every day, which was cool. And then um, one of the sort of Trumps of the jail, so Trump is like basically like Donald Trump, like they run, they sort of run. They're like one of, the, what, yeah. one of the heads, one of the leaders. One of the heads, yeah. And so I was training one day with Shane and then some other young – In the like, yard. Yeah, in So the everyone yard. can see you training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one of the young lads comes up and he goes, oh, brother, I really want to speak to you. Um, I go, okay, sweet, and points him out. There's like three – Stand on the fence. <clears throat> One's like a super stocky, scary looking guy, obviously the leader. Another guy got a full scar on his face, older looking fella, very scary looking dude. Um, and then a really tall, lean, ripped up. So everyone in jail is like ripped up because everyone trains, right? And if, or they're fat ass because they just do drugs. But <laughs> but if they don't, they just, um, they're ripped up like proper. And um, he sort of, so growing up, we didn't know where our people were from. We didn't know our tribes and all that sort of stuff because dad being stolen, he looked for his mum for 20 years, didn't find her, didn't really you know, sort of gave up at that point. Um, and I didn't know anything other than my I was adopted and my dad's Aboriginal and they were heroin addicts, didn't really know much else besides that. And so I got to jail, go to these lads and they're sort of like, oh, hey, brother, how are you? You know, you're Aboriginal. I say, yeah. He goes, oh, where are you, where are you from? I said, oh, Blacktown. He goes, no, nah, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, Bathurst? And he's like, no, where's your mob? Who's your mob, you know? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, you don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I fucking know. And he goes, um, you know, I told him my story. He said, I was adopted and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, brother, he's like, you've got a whole mob probably looking for you. So your whole mob's probably looking for you. He's like, when you get out, you need to – it's like I don't see him so far away now. I said, like, when you get out, you've got to go find your mob. They're looking for you for sure. 
I was like, oh, so I thought about that pretty much the whole sentence. I was like, fuck, that's a bit of a shock to the system. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, and I was like, I didn't even think of that. You know, I didn't even think of that. It was obviously most Aboriginal people got big mob, and I just was like, ah. Oh. You know, um, and by mob, you, you literally mean like community where you're originally yeah. from. Like that community is looking for the people that were taken from them, yep. and and they want to bring they want to bring each other back together. Exactly. Yeah. Always. Everyone's refers to it as like bringing them home. You know, everyone's on their journey home. Um, and so he's like, oh, you, and you do a bit of boxing, obviously. I say, yeah, I've done had a couple of fights. You know, twenty fights or whatever. Um, he goes, oh, yeah, sweet, no worries. He's like, we'll do some training tomorrow. I go, all right, sweet brother, you done some training. He's like, yeah, done a bit of boxing. Playing it down, he's like, "Yeah, done a bit of boxing. Let's train tomorrow." So next day, we're we're training in the yard, and straight away, as soon as we start getting into pads, everyone's like stopped, and he's just like looking. And I'm just thinking, "What the fuck is this? Who is this guy? What am I doing?" You know, and I'm Be- training with this guy because the guy you were training, he was like the leader of the jail. <laughs> yeah, though. yeah, he's very well respected and probably the most feared person. He's the most feared person that I ever come across in jail, and so he was very much like a bit of a mentor. For me in jail, he's very much exactly like all the things that you said good about me. I could say the same about him. Right. The problem with him is that he comes from a majority Aboriginal community and he, he he got like he had a couple of so obviously done a fair bit of crime, a couple of bank robberies and things like that. But that um he had a couple of shit goes with like unlucky circumstances unfolding with those outcomes that ended up him in jail for the majority of his adult life. He ended up he was like thirty five when I met him and had only been out for like two or three years of his adult life. Um, so I just never had the opportunity to truly shine, but guarantee if he had the opportunity, he would be doing something. If he was, if he, had, if he, if he had good circumstances mm. in life, he could be someone special. Yeah. hundred percent. And th- this is something that I learned like th- through jail and through a bunch of other things and then learning more and more about people and, and getting immersed in the community. Um, is that all these things is, they're not hard to come by in Aboriginal people. We've got all the makeup to be something special. We just don't have access to, to the opportunities. And that's where I felt obligated. So I'm like, I can see this other side of the world where a lot of my people can't. Um, so it's up to me to bring them, to grab them and bring them. Simple as that because that is going to unlock a lot of potential with our people and could change the world. For for I know, it could change the world, make the world a better place. But what I definitely know it's going to do is enable them to live life on their own terms, you know. And I just wanted that because I'm like – I'm going to do that anyway, regardless. And like, but I want every I want my people to do that. You know, I want my people to be able to have access to that because you hear some really sad stories in there, and it's just like, mate, that's um, insurmountable. You know, I met a guy in there who was locked up for seven months for selling a bag of salt. He was like homeless and sold a bag of salt to some guy to try to rip him off, and got like the uh, police caught him and locked him up. And he said, mate, it's fucking salt. And they're like, yeah, well, we don't give a shit if um. Yeah, if you're uh, by the time forensics comes back, you'll be out. So it's all good. And they lock him up, and he gets locked up for seven months. And I was like, mate, and he's like losing his mind telling me. I was like, man, that's fucked. I like, got locked up for salt. Salt, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> not, not unbelievable. Salt, just salt, yeah. I was like, mate, and there's like just so many of those stories. Of like I met people in there; they should have been out months ago, but they just don't have an address. They can't get out. It's a bunch of problems, you know. And um, so this the 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 um kind of the jail leader that mm. you were training in boxing. Mm. Um, he, he, he was training you. Yeah. He he kind of helped you, I See guess, survive yeah. and 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 um, get through that year. Well, he took a massive liking to me because straight away I was trying to like I was just trying to do just do my thing, which is like just set goals. I was always writing goals every day and visualizing them, um, and then reading. I was like reading every day and then training. And I'm like, this is all I'm going to do. I'm just going to train, read. It was actually a bit of a you know it was pretty crazy time at that point because I was working because I had to pay this lawyer. I was working like three jobs to try and pay the solicitor. In jail? No, outside, outside. just before I got locked up. Yeah. So I was working like doing the mortgage broker in the sales. That wasn't turning over enough money. I was working in a potato factory a couple of days a week to try and pay extra bills. And then I was also doing traffic controlling some nights whenever I could get the shifts just to make up the, the fee for this lad. Um, and then we did end up getting like two grand short and then had to borrow two grand off someone and got him so he could show up for the sentencing day. So I made it. But then when I got locked up, I just slept for a while because I was like, man, trying to catch up on some sleep. Um, so that was that was a little bit uh, a little bit of a relaxing time at first. But I was just was like, okay, I need to do all these things and just keep my routine and then eventually the time will pass and then then I'll sort of be out. And he took a liking to me for that because everyone, like and I say everyone, one in a hundred, one maybe a few in a hundred, not very many. Don't buckle to the drugs because the, the jail will give you drugs. The, the biggest drug of use in there is bup. What's that? It's like synthetic heroin. But the jail gives it to you. 
that's unbelievable. Yeah. And and also, but you could also imagine, you know, people are so uncomfortable, they're so oh, upset, they're in there. Yeah. It's like I need a I need a break from this. You can fully understand. Ca- yeah, yeah you can see how that. If, that's if I didn't the have option. like, if I had not already like you know dug out this system of like setting goals and visualizing them and reading, like I was a good reader at that time. I was an avid reader um, and just always like wanting something. Like if I didn't have like a North Star, something to face, something to look at, um, something to focus on, then who knows? I probably you could, could have tried call it. Call forward victims. Yeah, you know, you know shit See day, what whatever, you know, be all good. And that's how that goes and slippery slope into nothingness. So, And when you say the jail gives it to you, do you mean that they just let it happen? No, no, they, you, you, you go on a, the butte program and then you go to the no. every day and she'll give you two strips of butte, yeah. I had no we were idea. selling like so you can get them out here for like ten dollars at the chemist or something. In jail they sell for like hundred fifty bucks a strip. But the nurse gives you two a day. I was like, man, that's wild. Yeah, so it was wild. And I why just, do they do that? Literally just to suppress them and and, yeah. and make. There's them. a couple of things like I, I I never like proved any of this stuff, but it was um like they said they put estrogen in the food, um and things like that. Like they they really. Try and make a point of like crushing you, and if when when things start to get out of hand, they'll lock everyone down. If they figure out some people are sort of running the show, they'll tip them, they'll move them to another jail. Like they make a point to try and keep it. It's all about suppression. Up. Yeah, it's yeah. all about control. You know, control. So, sorry, yeah, um, yeah. So the so Terry took a liking to me. That's the leader guy. He um, took a massive liking to me. We got along really, really well, and we we're training a lot. And I had a lot of ability, like with boxing. And so he was. It was like fun for both of us because he was training me up like I was a pro fighter, and we were acting like that, like I was eating really well, sleeping, you know, training. And then he got me sparring all the other guys. You know, I'm sparring all these lifers. <laughs> I didn't know who these people were. And then um, I look them up like later on. And I'm like thinking, what the fuck. I'm sparring this guy he's facing 25 years. You know, I'm sparring this guy. He's actually never getting out. Um, crazy. I'm in here for a year. This guy's going to try to kill me. Um, but it was a good experience, you know, because we were um, – like I had something to work towards every day. We are training. People said they want to spar. You know, we'll do a bit of sparring. Then I was training people, getting extra food and things like that. So it was a massive learning experience but just understanding like firstly you can sort of – your day-to-day can sort of – how everything's going, cup half empty, cup half full, whatever, can really be determined by you how you're thinking about things and then what you're doing. Like you can't just sit there and think it's going to be all good. Like you've got to take some actions and and make it positive in that sort of way. Um, looking back, definitely that was – who knows if that was even – who knows if that works towards anything. But what it done, if nothing else, was just give me something to focus on and work towards and build towards and just keep my mind off the shit part, which is that I was in jail. Like that's not going anywhere. I can open my eyes at any time and notice that I'm in jail. But there's no merit in just focusing on the shit around you. You end up on the drugs like everyone else. And what was the feeling then of get, of getting out? Oh, it was crazy. Yeah, it was amazing. I remember car headlights being like so interesting. I was like, this is crazy. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it was actually really good. Got a stake straight away. So getting out, um, so obviously you had all these goals like that I was still sort of working towards. It. Upon getting out, nearly all of those goals came true within the first six months. So that law of attraction really – really doubled down. So it already had proven itself to me, but this this time, like I was getting out and I was like starting from complete scratch and all these things had, had ticked over. Um, things I, like what? Things I like got what? It. Well, uh, what, was, what was some of the other? What was the other one? Like you're obviously, when you're in jail, you're saying, this, I, want, I need to do this, I want to accomplish yeah. this. Yeah, well, there were a lot of, like I was writing a bunch. So the, the things like make mum and dad rich, buy them a house, get them out of housing commission, me get out of housing commission, get my own place. Um, start my own business, you know, get another property, all those sort of things. Um, I didn't get a pr- – uh, th- then I was like set my sights on like what am I going to do immediately as I get out? And I was like I'm going to start a business. I'm going to come up with a hundred grand and I'm going to – what else did I – I'm telling you, you're a master plan maker. That's what yeah, you do. Yeah, you've got to – yeah, it's yeah. all about like, you know, if you can hold – I fully believe if you can see it in your mind then you can hold it in your hand and if you're blessed with the vision then you, um, you're cursed with the obligation. You know, so if you if you if you're blessed with the vision of whatever it is that you you can see, then you're cursed with the obligation to bring that to life and make that happen. So, uh, and if you focus on it, like the the path will open up to you. So, so how did you <clears throat> how did you um, then get to create the business? Because I know you mentioned kind of briefly that uh, uh, Boris was almost like a bit of an <coughs> inspiration or ha- had yeah. some sort of big impact in in your journey. How did you get to the point? How, how did you start your business? So pretty much I um, – so when I, as soon as I got out, I was like, well, I've got to get back to work. I was back to work within like three days. Um, 
we set up another company. So me and some of the other people that I worked with previously, we set up another business and we started working on that. So I felt like that was part of my business. Obviously that didn't end up that way, but you know, I feel, I feel like that's part of my business. That's what I was working on. And towards the end of it, so after about two ish years, the relationship started to go deteriorate its, its other way. Yeah. In that time we went to a Mark Beerus seminar. And then at the seminar, like I've always been, I've been to a lot of seminars and I, I love them, you know, like I learn a lot. I'm always a bit of a nerd, I like learning stuff. Um, seminars are a great place to learn stuff. So he was talking about like how to identify your niche, basically the whole thing of like coming up with an idea and seeing what's got merit and how to identify your niche and see what, like what communities do you empower the most and, and all these sort of things. Um, and I remember at the time like just writing and I've looked back in my notes and see them, but it was, um, it was like Aboriginal finance, Aboriginal property, question mark, question mark, question mark, like just not sure, big circle around it. And just thought on that for, for a long while. Um, and so that was sort of like the seed that birthed Indigenous wealth, you know, that was like the seed. So I'm like, what have I got? got property experience, finance experience, things like that. Who can I help? Well, Aboriginal people, people that have been in jail, um, poor people. It's like <laughs> Aboriginal people fall into all those categories. Um, and so we were – that's sort of what I had – sort of come up with at that point. I was like, okay, park that. And then like, I always feel like the universe is sort of conspiring with me, against me, I don't know, whatever. And so then from there, the relationship just fell off a cliff. Like the whole the business relationship that I had, that just fell straight off a cliff. Like that went so bad so quickly. Um, and then we went our own ways. Um, I had bought a property with the person and then that was like, I was like, okay, got my property, you know, straight away. But then that had to dissolve as well. So it went one to zero and one to zero um and then now i'm like two i'm like three years out of jail at this point and starting from zero again i'm thinking fucking hell i need to get these old people rich you know my mum and dad they're waiting they're still waiting yeah they're waiting <laughs> dad's waiting for his ferrari you know so um i was like shit um so then i started working on some more jobs and i'm like well that didn't like straight away i could uh, not straight away once i realized that that business was not going to be my business i didn't want to didn't really want anything to do with it because i wanted to have my own business and so I started working on that, um, just the idea, like just brainstorming it all the time and just spending a lot of time like by myself trying to figure that out, working on jobs wherever I could just to keep up with living. Um, had moved out um, after the first year. Uh, sorry, straight away when I got out, got home, I had to move out. I was like, this house commission house is probably worse than, than fucking jail. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> it, wow. to, be, to be honest. So I moved, we moved out pretty quick and then the following year I got my parents out and started renting a house for them. Um Building my business, trying to tr trying to work on something, working odd jobs, doing whatever I could, um, and then we sort of launched in in February of 2020. I quit the odd jobs that I was working at, um, and yeah, we started servicing clients not long after that. So I had a couple of clients that I already knew, and sort of started working on them. Got a couple of testimonials away, then got a handful of clients. I think we only done like five deals in the first year or something, and then following that, it was like a proper fully fledged business. I was running from home. Um, but yeah, just working on it from there. That's how you come up with it. And and, and is it, tell me about the business now. So now you've you've helped uh, lots of um, mm. uh, Aboriginal people get into the property market. Um, um, you know, what wh wh what are you finding is working in the business? What are problems you're having? Um, yeah. So look, it's come like so. The, the the thing that I identified early on is that like there's a massive wealth gap between Aboriginal people and the rest of us. There's that comes hand in hand with there being no generational wealth. That also comes in hand, uh, hand in hand with there not being many Aboriginal role models or people that you can learn off. You just can't. Um, there's a lot of what we don't want. There's not much of what we do want, right? And so with those three things, that's where we've just like bring it all in and started started working more towards uh, refining that to be a really strong, powerful vehicle to achieve those three things. Close the wealth gap between Aboriginal people and the rest of Australia, build generational wealth for us, ourselves, our community as a whole, um, empower the cycle breakers along the way. Um, and just, yeah, just achieve really, really good outcomes like for our people. And so the, the business now, so we're, we're actually hiring, we're expanding. It's going really, really well. We're, we've got a goal of a hundred Aboriginal millionaires by 2025, which is a hundred Aboriginal people with over a million dollars in real estate. Um, and we're powering through that. We're actually powering through. We'll smash that. And what a great vision. Like that's the company mm. vision. Like that's, that's the current kind of goal. Yeah. I'm very petty. So the reason I came up with that, <laughs> very petty guy. So <laughs> basically I, early on I was like, well, how many Aboriginal, like when I was coming up with this idea, I was like doing some research and things like that. I'm like, well, how many Aboriginal property investors are there? And then, um, I'm 
I couldn't come up with anything for some reason. I'm like, I'm shit research. I, mean, I hired some guy off Upwork. I'm like, I'm just do some research. And we could only come up with that there was any – we couldn't find any real proper statistics. Data. We could only come up with um, less than 100 Aboriginal property investors. And I thought, well, fuck, that is – that's broken, you know. That does that that does not work for me at all. So um, I'm like, well, let's double that as a first point. Let's make 100 Aboriginal investors ourselves. And I was like – that let's make 100 Aboriginal millionaires what happens from there you know um so yeah we set set our sights on that i just it's like what a, a cool goal it's a, it's a direct <laughs> yeah it was like a direct like it was a direct like fuck you you know i was like a, less than 100 Aboriginal property investors let's fix that straight away you're gonna you double know? it just me yeah just yeah. me so um and so so now i mean you've you've gone through all these experiences in life and even with every adversity and and these are big adversities these aren't the small adversities that uh um, that a lot of people experience. These are big adversities. Going through all those experiences, you've ended up not just running a successful business, mm. having a, being a success yourself. Uh, obviously, you're surrounded by a lot of great successful people now, uh, even in Cub and, and outside of Cub. Um, um, and your your business is not just it's not just successful. It's actually it's it's lifting your community. And it, it's, it's a business with a purpose, a, a, a real strong purpose that you obviously, uh, you know, is, is you're passionate about. And even like you were saying before, you know, your parents gave you that second chance mm. and, you know, they, 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 they kind of passed on to you an opportunity. Um, um, and, you know, it's, it's like you're, you're, you've taken that and you're passing that on to, to, to many others and that's the beautiful thing about business is that, you know, a business is doing good for the world and figuring out how to do a good thing for lots of people, you know, mm. more than just you'd be able to do yourself. Yeah. And I, I, that that's – it's just such a cool story. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Much yeah. appreciated. And that's – so once – so from the Mark Beer seminar, I came up with the – well, this is the niche that I identify with, right? And I started coming up with the business idea. Um, but then as I started looking, I was like, well, what other – like who would be my competitors? Obviously, as a normal part of a business plan, you think, well, who's the competitors? Um, that's sort of where we figured out that there's nothing really in the market for any Aboriginal person that's wanting to prosper, you know, do really well, have a good life, like anything – positive or to benefit it's all deficit models it's all it's all about you're poor you faced problems this is how we can help you with those problems and it's all problem based um there's even a home loan provider out there but you need to earn less than a certain amount and get knocked back at other banks and, and all this sort of stuff so there's nothing out there for you know mid to high incoming aboriginal people or anyone that's you know paying attention who's trying to give life a shot exactly the cycle break is like yeah exactly them. exactly and so i thought well you know from I was like, well, my niche is like I can help Aboriginal people in property because I identify with them and I understand property. And then as I started digging more and more and more, I just realised I'm like, well, there's no like there's no safe place for Aboriginal people to go. And that's where we've come up with this much bigger idea now of like to, to build like a massive financial services business with a lot of a lot of different arms, um, but also to have Aboriginal people empowered to do those roles. So we want to create like a bit of a a massive change. So it's a double-edged sword. So obviously on one side, we're getting really good results for Aboriginal people, creating generational wealth, closing the wealth gaps, doing it one family at a time. On the other side, we're empowering young Aboriginal people to do those careers. So be the accountants and the, the property guys and the, the mortgage brokers and the solicitors if they want, you know, insurance brokers, property managers, all that sort of stuff and have blackfalls in those roles because we could do that maybe even better. So I think, you know, double-edged sword, we can empower and get Aboriginal bums in seats to do those roles for Aboriginal clients. So it's literally an organisation that's for Aboriginal people by Aboriginal people. It's it's incredible. I think you've just got such a strong understanding of for us to be, uh, for me to be successful and for others to be successful, we need to lift each other up because mm. they're more, like even the thing, the, like, you know, the effect Mark Boris had on you mm. with his seminar and who he is and how he speaks and how he's trying to help people. You, like you're having that same effect probably even without realizing outside of actually helping people, you know, buy properties and things, but you're probably having that same effect to so many people that come across you. Um, it, I mean, it, indigenous or not. Mm. Um, 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 but there's some, there's probably Aboriginal people that, that see you, whether they be younger or older, that are like, wow, like I want to be part of that. That is what I want, you know. I I, I want to uh, whatever that's going on there. I want to get on board with that. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I'll guarantee it. And if they are any young Aboriginal people out there, 
hit me up, you know, um, because that's what we what we want to create here, like a organization, but just a, a tribe of warriors, you know, that are going to lead the way for our people, like be pioneers in the space and just really carve it out. Because if we can do this really, really well, the whole ownership of poverty that we've just had for 200 or so years it's just out the window, you know, yeah. if we can make our own money and dictate our own. Uh, so the 100 Aboriginal millionaires, that's because then we have $100 million of Aboriginal money in the market. Over 10 years' time, that's going to double to 200 million, whatever. Once we get to 100, I want to get to 1,000. When we get to 1,000, that's a billion dollars. So then we've really, really sort of changed the narrative around that, you know, because this narrative around like poor blackfellas and, and all that sort of stuff, it's not one that we tell, you know, it's one that's told to us. So, you know, what happens when we tell the narrative? How does that go? And so the only way to do that is to come off this dependency bullshit mindset and just do it ourselves, you know, figure out exactly what it is that you want, get the resources in place to do so and then just fucking do it. Because now <clears throat> there's nothing stopping us, you know. You give it like 60 years ago, it was different, you know, there was laws in place that couldn't allow wouldn't allow Aboriginal people to do certain things. Whereas now it really don't matter. I used an example with Joe the other day of, um, you know, I, as Aboriginal man I can go into CBA in Martin Place wasn't allowed before, but I can go in there, get a million dollar loan, use that, I'm a really good deal maker, whatever, buy a property that's worth 10 million, I can sell it for 10 million and make, you know, $9 million as an Aboriginal man, whereas that was not a, even a slight possibility for, say, my grandfather. You know, so heavy lies the crown in that way because that cycle has got to start somewhere. And now we've got all the opportunity and, and all the resources and now Indigenous wealth bringing all that in. To change that whole cycle for your whole bloodline, 60,000 years long, into what you want, you know, into one of prosperity, into one of, you know, overcoming things and getting getting ultimately where you want. And that's just decided by you. And we're just a vehicle to get you there. Yeah, well, I, I think that <clears throat> that's a great way to, to finish the episode. But, yeah, you're leading um, your people to, to a brighter future, you and – those joining you, mm. those purchasing properties, and and, and the, the, those those uh, you call them cycle breakers, which mm. I think is such a great um, term. It basically, means people who want more. Absolutely. Know? Um. Anyway, I I commend you. I think you're just an incredible person. I'm sure everyone listening to this episode's thinking the same thing. And um, yeah, I'm very proud to have you as a friend. And and, and uh, just he, honestly. I learn a lot from you. I really do. Thank you, brother. Likewise. Likewise. Awesome. Well, um, to our uh, amazing listeners, if you want to uh, get in touch with Brad um, or, or find out uh, more about uh, Indigenous wealth or, or Brad's greatest lessons and, and favourite books, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you'll find more there. Um, and if you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business. Um, do you want to say anything before we finish, Brad? Mm, I guess just to everyone, you know. Um, don't ever let, you know, I, I guess the one thing that's always carried me through, it's like one specific quote um, and it's the same boiling water that softens a potato, it hardens the egg, right? So it's not the circumstances that you're in, it's it's what you're made of. So you, you want to figure out what you're made of, what it is that you want, and then don't let anything get in your way and just, just get after it and do it. Love it. Hope you enjoyed the show.